Welcome to the Leadership of Fools. We are about to up anchor and set sail into the heady ocean of business dilemmas and discussions. Nothing's going to stop us. On today's episode of Leadership of Fools, we tackle change, especially the question, shouldn't we be used to it by now? During the conversation, we get to really appreciate the impact of change fatigue. We start to see change consultation in a completely new way. We explore this concept called post-change murkiness. We get to see what it takes for a team and an organisation to move its engagement score from 24% to 72%. And potentially most confusing or interesting or intriguing of all, a metaphor that links show jumping with change. Today's guests, Derek Humphrey-Smith and Carolyn McMahon. Carolyn is a director within the car industry and is especially experienced in culture change. Derek is a lawyer, media performer, and an ex-AFL umpire. Welcome to the Leadership of Fools. This is the podcast that sets sail right into the high winds of business dilemmas without fear or any sense of sailing etiquette. And joining me on the ship today, we've got my first mate, Colin BG. It's always a pleasure to be here, Rick. Thanks for coming, Colin. Sometimes I feel like you're not going to turn up at the docks, and you're always there, shiny face, like a little toy puppet that's been turned into a boy. With my sea legs on, and I'm excited to uh, to launch sail. And what feedback? Launch sail? Yeah, we, we're always launching sail on this ship, Colin. That's, that's the only launching sail. It's the only, yes, it's the only way to get going on this ship. Launch the sails, me mateys. Um, Colin, bit of a question for you. What feedback most summed you up? Um, when I first started at the National Australia Bank, uh, some close to 20 years ago, a consultant said to me, uh, you need to sharpen your edges. Now that was coupled with a girlfriend at the time who uh-huh. said to me, you look like a teddy bear. Well, so I thought, I thought to myself, those two things really started to say to me, I needed to toughen up a bit and sharpen up a bit. And, um... So I think the question was what summed me up. At the time, that makes, made sense. You're like a teddy bear and you need to sharpen your edges. That is some troubling imagery. All I can see now is a teddy bear getting lowered onto an angle grinder <laughs> and some sort of macabre attempt to make some sharp-edged teddy bear <laughs> that will not sell at Christmas time. No. That is just a dangerous toy no. that you should not give to your kids. No, Colin, no, do, you I don't not- know whether I should have revealed all this. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I'm, I feel like I've got a much clearer picture of who you are. <laughs> Launch the sails, Colin. Um, and joining me on the ship... Oh, I'm throwing things around like this ship is going crazy today, but I'm liking that sense of anarchy. We've got Carolyn McMahon. Hi, Rick. Thank you for joining us here on the ship. We've got a sharp teddy bear and some launch sails and, and, uh, and a question for you. What topic do most people ask for your advice slash expertise on? Mm. Uh, so given I've been with my current employer for 22 years, uh, how to navigate through the, <laughs> the, the quagmire yes. of the organisation, right. how to get things done, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps how to uh, uh, work with the Japanese mm-hmm. and, and culturally, how to... Uh, how, how should we approach things? And even terminology, like things like, yes. what does that what, really what mean? What does that really mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, your navigational skills will certainly come into handy. Come into handy. Come, hand, <laughs> come in handy. Come in handy. 
come to the fore. Here on the Leadership of Fools, we're always looking for navigational nous. Uh, so welcome aboard. Thank you. And uh, now final shipmate here joining us on these choppy waters today. Very choppy. It's Derek Humphrey-Smith. Hello, Rick. Derek, straight to it. No, yes. no fussing about. What type of work situation do you thrive in, Mr Humphrey-Smith? Uh, I, like I like a bit of stress. I like a bit of... Um bit of public scrutiny around that stress. I seem to um, seem to enjoy some urgency to the uh, problem that seems to bring out my best, I like think. to be under the pump. Yeah, a little bit. I think um, I'm public. much more time, I'm much more effective with um, some significant time pressure around me. And not everyone thrives with the public scrutiny part. So what is it? What's that about? Uh, what's that about? I don't know. I think it's... Um, I think that perhaps the issue might have a broader, um, broader impact, potential broader impact. I kind of like that. Sort of, it's um, something I'm not going to delegate to anyone else, and I'll, yeah, like, I quite enjoy it. Great. Excellent. Well, your calmness under pressure will certainly be welcome on the ship. We've got the first mate here launching the sails, so anything <laughs> could happen uh, today. So we're going to need your clear, clear and calm head to help us uh, navigate with Carolyn through these waters. Our topic today. Shouldn't we be used to change by now? What continues to be hardest about achieving effective and sustained change? So I'm tempted to start with the first part there. Uh, there's this sense now that change has been around in organisations, um, let alone around uh, society and life for a long time, and yet it still seems to invoke all sorts of strange behaviours, strange reactions, um, anxiety... So, you know, I think it's an interesting question. Shouldn't we be far more used to it now? What's your sense, Carolyn? Sometimes I feel like we've got change fatigue. Right. You know, that, that, that there's just constant, there's so much constant change in the world that we live in, um, in all aspects of our life. And, you know, like that can be very tiring. So for you, it's the sense of it's just the relentless this, i get that word out, feels relentless, feels like uh, we don't ever stop, pause, yeah, yeah. consolidate. Yeah, you know, gone are the days where you had just that, even in business cycles, you would have your, your down times and then your busy times. It's just always busy now. Yeah. There's, there's, I'm not sure what it's like in, in the firms, but certainly for us in our industry, it's just constantly on all the time. So if you're a leader announcing some new idea, no matter how exciting it is, no matter how compelling it is as an idea, um, a typical reaction is, oh, not another thing. Like, is it as kind of simple, simple as that? Um, I, think, I think if it's something exciting and something that's good for, for the, the wider organisation, um, you still... I mean, we're still in the middle of change, so I guess we haven't necessarily come out the other end yet. Yes. Um, but it takes what I underestimated was the amount of time that it takes. Right. So you're almost constantly in this this cycle of change. And you're surprised by the amount of time. Is there anything else that surprises you by it? Because I suspect what I'm saying is I'm surprised that people still make it as a bigger deal. I, I think it is a big deal, but mm. it seems like mm. it's still cat catastrophized or it still results in uh, strange reactions from, from organisations, even though we're in a constant state of it. Mm. 
I think fundamentally people want to live their lives, whether it's at work or at home, in the wider society, the way that they want to live their life. So in the work environment, they just want to come to work, do their job the way that they want to do their job. Yeah. It may not be the way that we want them to do their job, but um, they just – we're almost sort of um, – um, a bit selfish as human beings because we just want to do things how we want to do them. Which leads to the word that I think is really fundamental is that sense of control. So the moment I feel in control of my own destiny, that's exactly. great. Mm. And my circumstances and the way I want, want to work and the work I choose to do, the moment you, uh, whether you you as the uh, organisation or you the leader take that away from me, mm. no matter how compelling the idea is i'm i may resist it resist yeah. that yeah that's spot on mm. yeah I, I look i i agree i think uh, change imposed yep. is always difficult change um demanded by the group that needs to change will always be embraced far differently um so i think yeah that's not surprising to hear mm. that i think i think also um when i see it not go well i see it's it, this concept of change fatigue is that you are imposing something extra on this individual who's usually pretty busy. When you look across, particularly in Australia, if you look across Australian workforces nowadays, gone are the days where people worked at about 70%. Most people are getting up there. They're certainly around the 85 plus and there'll be many that'll be well past 100 in terms of you know, their commitment. So if you, as you say you're imposing change and there's no, there's no groundwork being done, and that's the key. I think there's never enough groundwork being done, and you often see the. And change. what do you mean by the ground, groundwork? Um, the the people. I think when you filter through who's who, a particular change is going to impact. It's never quite thought through to all the stakeholders, hmm. um, and hmm. I think it's a great lesson for us to just keep thinking: where are we going to get the pushbacks on this? What 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 are the things that? Um, yeah, and, and I, I see it a lot with um, the changing of working spaces for people. I think if you look at um, uh, uh, say the example of the move to um, open plan um, in a whole lot of organisations, moving away from offices that. Um, that's often the consultation in all that that goes around that and the excitement that's brought. Well, often the excitement's driven by we're going to have less of a geographic footprint. That's going to cost us less. So let's just let's, let's look at that's exciting for somebody up here, but there can also be other ways that you can have the teams impacted by these changes to embrace it yes. and think of it very differently. But all that groundwork doesn't often get done mm. and then you get the resistance, Cole, yeah. which, as you say, is the piece that's hard to watch. Yeah, and just uh, for clarity there, I see the word resistance and the word change, particularly in organisations, as you know, substi you know, you're able to substitute those two. Meaning, without resistance, you don't actually have change. So it's something that leaders don't do the groundwork around. They don't anticipate the resistance or creating an environment where people can resist. And I think that's also really fundamental that you create this safe environment. People can express what worries them or concerns them or the unexpected impact of the decision we're making. Also, I want to just circle back something, and it, just because it's front of mind, I have a, a bit of a principle that I really strongly advocate with organisations, and that is the moment you ask someone to change, you must turn something off, mm -hmm. uh, which goes to that operating at 85 to 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, so unless we can actually, we can't add any more on <laughs> until something's coming out the other end in terms of 
uh, one dropping in, one away. out policy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And, it, and I wonder whether that's just a really simple, practical way of looking at organisational change. We, we're, we need you to do this, but we need you to... We, we're going to support you stopping this. Mm. And mm. I, I think people would be more, somewhat more receptive to it. There's a great example that's um, been around in Melbourne law firms for a number of years, Carol, and you might remember this. Um, I won't name the firm, but a um, decision was made to save costs on a whole range of things at this particularly large firm some years ago. And um, one of the decisions was that uh, they were going to remove the tea trolley lady uh, who had been at this firm for, you know, some, you know, I think 28, 29 years. And the decision was made, look, we get better coffee, we can do that, it can be outsourced. And, Esme's you know, gone. Who's going to have that conversation? Uh, well, <laughs> no, well, what the conversations that weren't had, Rick, were the conversations with all of the people who, for that perhaps 30 seconds a day, had an interaction with this woman mm. that kind of crafted their experience of working at this firm. And, she was um, once, soul. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. Mm. And the reaction, the ba- no, it wasn't a reaction, it was a backlash towards the leadership that might have been, you know, for whatever good reason they thought this change needed to be made, um, it, it put them back years. There is no question the tea trolley and the removal of the tea trolley had such an impact on the culture well, the of fact this organisation. The fact that you know about it, like everyone says, knows about it. It's unbelievable. It's <laughs> and guess what? It was reintroduced, mm-hmm. but she refused to take the role. Good on her. Good on her. Good Isn't on that we wonder how that's going now. Oh, do you know that, Carolyn? Three know times the I think I've, I remember it many, many years ago. Mm. Yeah. It's a very interesting change yeah. story about who wasn't consulted and what yeah. were the other, perhaps, the non-financial benefits. Yeah. The, unex- the unexpected consequences. Like, mm. And you can't anticipate everything no, that's going to play out. No. Uh, and I think sometimes... The other thing... The other thing um, a colleague of mine once described this like um, horse jumping, you know, show jumping. Mm. She said she feels like change is a lot like that. Like um, we're actually asking people to take a, a bit of a leap of faith. You know, you're on a, the back of a horse in a dangerous situation. They're about to uh, jump over the fences. And oh, she the, said... The what, fences aren't on fire, Colin. Right. It's only mildly dangerous. <laughs> well, right. They're very... <laughs> There's a lot of health and safety that goes into those show jumping courses. Uh, if you're trying to bring show jumping into disrepute on this podcast, Colin, I'm going to put my foot down. Put my hoof, hoof down. down. Put your hoof down. <laughs> but your metaphor's good. Keep going. That's right. You ride horses, don't you, Derek? I do, Colin. Yes. <laughs> Can you support me? Can oh, you help I'm me out compl- here? I'm loving where you're going, Colin. Yeah. So I think um, she talks about this idea that uh, people panic. Uh, maybe horses panic as well, but people panic. And that's uh, they panic in that moment when they're wanting, just about to jump. So it's that leap of faith moment and the consequence of actually, you know, I don't know, I'm pulling back the, yes. the reins yes, literally. Yes, yes. And I think leaders do that. They actually talk the talk and the moment they start to go, oh, my God, goodness, this is, this is the moment. This is going to fail or this is, you know, or I'm panicking or I'm anxious. Uh, the ramifications of pulling back. Yeah, as well, mm. and you can go over the jump and still knock down a couple of um, start a couple of railings, which yes. is interesting as and well. And recover, because I think, yeah. Um, and you've gone over the jump; you might lose it. It hasn't been perfect, but mm-hmm. you've actually achieved the very significant leap. Of Thanks, faith Derek, for making that metaphor work at some level. <laughs> just thought I'd clean that up. Thank you. Appreciate it. Not sure it had any validity, but <laughs> no, it was <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
Just your calm, clear head right. comes to the fore, Derek. Sure. Just metaphor, yes. Yep, that's it. So should I be okay with the, the, the first part of the topic that it's it's normal, the change is still a big deal? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yep. Because if, 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 if someone was able to do it successfully and uh, perfectly, then wouldn't we all be modelling that? If someone had nailed it somewhere... We would hope that they would share that. Yes. And then we would have a perfect formula to to follow and it wouldn't be as difficult as it is. Yeah. So, so there's this great concept of consultation mm-hmm. which um, runs so strongly, particularly in highly unionised workplaces in Australia. And I think uh, it's done so poorly both. I mean, as a whole, I think it's done poorly um, uh, because these things get momentum. And once there's momentum on change, look... All right, we don't have to slow down to take the time to mm. make sure everyone is on board for this. So the questions that don't seem to get asked very often are, um, if we were to implement this change, and I've explained to you today all the reasons why this might be good for our business, if we weren't to, uh, sorry, if we were to implement that change, how would that make you feel in your role? And if you just ask the question, I think you get some incredibly good intelligence mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. where that change might fall down or so, how you might tweak the change before you actually implement it. So I'm getting uh, my interpretation of this is that the consultation is a token exercise. Consultation often is compliance with an enterprise agreement, right? Not consultation for the actual mm-hmm. um, to understand knowledge to that understand you will gain from finding out from from the workforce it's how again. the change. Yeah, yeah, yes, we consulted. Do you think uh, you're, oh, dude, now, you're totally sitting in agree. corporate life? Yeah, from a from a particularly from a, from an EBA or a unionised yeah. point of view. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, um, I think in a in a white collar situation, you your best intention is always there to consult and and change impact. And, and But there, for some reason, there's an urgency. Once the decision has been made to make yes. the change, there's this urgency that we have to implement and execute as quickly as possible. God forbid we've made the wrong decision. Yes. <laughs> yes. So there's no, so like no turning back. There's, there's no turning back. So it's right. just, you know, implement, and we don't put enough time into the planning, into the, the, the consultation. Mm. Um, Strong leadership. You hear that term? I always hear that term after the decision's made. Yeah. Well, now... We need strong leadership, which and that equals which could be speed quite, and yeah. whatever's in the strong way. Just get out and, like and, as yeah. ignore, and ignoring yeah. any uh, people who might have a problem with like everyone who suddenly is pointing out the flaws in the in the new system. You yes, know, strong leadership is like yeah, shut up. Because <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing it. Because <laughs> there's a bit of a paranoia, I think, in. Um, around undermining of management prerogative. This You always hear the two, t- I see it as it's certainly from an industrial lawyer's perspective, you will see uh, the concept of consultation followed by quickly the concept of management prerogative and how will those two knit together. And the funny thing is, is that management prerogative can be so much healthier if consultation has been done effectively, mm. but they never get talked about in the same Sentence. I don't. So think. consultation ideally is done in the spirit of making better decisions. Uh, I think so. And better implementation. Better implementation because better the, implement- the, decisions the decisions made. made and and very rarely. I'm not sure in your experience. Do you think? But I don't know that everyone always. Interestingly, the, the executive may have felt that the decision's been made, but the moment you open up to consultation, I think some people still sense they've got a, you know a chance to change this. 
it's hard, isn't it's it? It's very difficult. I think I think it's the um, the tweaking of how it's going to be implemented or executed. It's a bit like when you developers know. have to put their plans and everything for community consultation, and you can go to the council offices and you can have your look at what the you can new development it is, and you could you could complain all you like, but uh, as part of the consultation process. But I'm pretty sure that building's still going up, <laughs> regardless. So, so that that reflects a very cynical view of consultation. Yeah. And maybe what I'm talking about maybe is back a step. Yep. At the intelligence gathering stage, and I think that's the bit that perhaps not enough work is done. Which could well, yeah. can I just t- test this? Could yeah. lead to the decision not to go ahead. Maybe. Maybe, or it could certainly um, lead to a different form of the decision being made. That um, there, you know, by looking at the consequences or the impact on various stakeholders in the organisation, you might just tweak this. It's not. Uh, mm. There needs to be more flexibility in the change process, probably from the decision makers. Often, I think you find rigidity around change. It's like we're going to change, and we're going to change in this way. We'll consult, but as long as it will sort of consult in a way that backs up that we're going to do this and ignore anything that suggests we shouldn't do this. Mm. Um, so if we had more flexibility around, yes, we're going to change, but let's be open to how, what that change looks like. Let's consult initially to find out what maybe the parameters of that change will be and then be flexible around how the implementation. Um, so, yeah, less rigidity in the change process is probably what's needed in order to reduce change fatigue and have more effective change. But often, often change stems from... Um, crisis situation where where something or something has to happen, otherwise the viability of of a op- organisation yes. operation um, is is being questioned. And so um, you've got to question then whether or not the the highly paid mm. uh, executives uh, who whose job it is to uh, create and and make the decisions, well then why would they then be consulting yeah. about the best decision for the company. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether it's the simplicity in this is to be much clearer about what you're consulting around and for what purpose. Um, and I know uh, sitting next to me here, Derek, you, you would have some of the constraints of the legalities of this. But, sure. but if we put the legalities yeah, aside for yeah. a moment, uh, that I could, as an executive, say I'm consulting to see whether this is viable. Okay, so that's one level. Uh, this decision has been made. It's how we implement and execute has is still up for grabs. So there's a real clear, clear, ma- almost managing of expectations for people about what the consultation is actually yeah, about. Yeah. Or we're not even going to consult because what this requires is us to just take, uh, you know, oh, no, not necessarily a risk, but we can't even afford to slow ourselves down. You've got to, we're going to back ourselves in mm. 100%. Yeah. Or you're paranoid about um, blockers yep. uh, and you think they're going to get in your way. So ambush might be the best way forward here. Yeah. yeah. And it's tough. I guess it also comes back to what the change is, is for. Is it change for change's sake? Is it change because it's an essential, it's a necessity to move forward? Um, and the consultation probably will be different in different circumstances. So, f- for instance, cutting costs and getting rid of the tea lady <laughs> is not doesn't seem like crisis change. It's cost saving. This is possibly a change we could implement to save some money, and consultation around that might have produced a different outcome. Um, whereas crisis change is probably a, a place where 
consultation might not be as useful because mm. um, that's when you need strong leadership mm. and decisions to be made. Yeah, Carolyn, I, I'm finding in my work that there's less, um, th and there is the met metaphor here of the burning platform, there's less of that. Um, uh, that's not to say that, you know, organisations aren't under threat. Um, I think, but they're not necessarily changing through, a you know, a absolute crisis. They're almost reframing it. And I had a colleague call this the change from the burning platform to the burning ambition. So this sense that um, we are, we're a good organisation and we are going to dominate. We're, we are ambitious that we can take this, our firm or our organisation to a whole different level. Mm. So that... Um, I reckon that's a different type of change and it requires more compelling vision and storytelling and um, motivation than the, than the other version. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Because one, one's a, um, almost a survival, yep. um, you know, we don't do this, the consequence is not is, being here. It's dire. That's yep. right. Whereas, and I guess as a leader, it would be so much more difficult to, to do the, the latter example where you're having to really move people from a, you know, high-performance culture to a, to a, you know, even higher than that. Yeah. Um, that would be a really tough uh, assignment, I would suspect. Yeah. I think the interesting observation um, in my experience is that money is always found for crisis change and yet discretionary spend for change to beat the market or start to do something differently, that's often harder to extract. So um, that's just a, a practical aspect to it, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree on that as well. Because that yeah. certainly takes a leader to have convinced a whole range of stakeholders that this is where we need to go. And I think um, watching the retail sector at the moment uh, ready itself for Amazon has mm. been fascinating. I mean, mm. Amazon has not had to do any marketing because everyone mm. else has been talking about them arriving. Um, and yet how are they getting ready to change their own organisations in response? Uh, it's been really diverse, the different mm. reactions uh, from organisations who will be competitors with Amazon. I reckon one of the things that uh, makes this difficult is some people who make the early decision aren't always around by the end. No follow-through. <laughs> So there's a lack of a lack of genuine accountability, uh, and uh, there are the classic ideas people that we yes. experience who come up with great ideas but aren't going to be the ones around at the end, and that includes consultants. Yeah. Um, yep. So I think there's a lack of accountability. I also think uh, that, and I would go back to what you said earlier, Carolyn, that sense of the psychology of this is the psychology of of losing control. So the moment you feel a sense of losing control, and that can include where I'm sitting, because mm -hmm. I used to get to go to my desk and I had it the way I wanted. It was and a window. There was a window. It was a window right there. That's right. And now you're wanting me to use a locker. Okay. So I don't, I don't fit in a locker. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I used to have a desk. Now I'm in a locker. <laughs> this is the worst. Um, so there's two immediate things that I think are pretty fundamental. So, so the, the piece about um, the person who announces the change and then um, that person often isn't suited, I agree, uh, with uh, to execution. Yes. So I think organisations being savvy to that and going, that's okay. Yes. We need to build around that person who's going to be the good storyteller, yes. going to be the inspiring 
person to bring a, bring about the change and consult, then we need to introduce people around them with different skills yes. who will execute the change. And I think we expect too much of the one person mm. to do both. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which requires some sense of uh, you know planning ahead to anticipate. You know, we expect this to play out. We expect we'll get to a phase where it's moved from. Uh, idea generation to implementation mm. to uh, operationalize. You know, it's going to move through those normal phases, but we haven't even thought that far ahead, no. and we actually need to. Yes. And how to sustain it is, you know, I guess after the experience that we've been through over the last four or five years, we're now coming at the end of the change. So the next challenge is sustaining it. Yes. And that the people that were the drivers of the change almost now need to hand over the baton to the next generation of the custodians of the change. Yeah. You know, like there, someone else has to pick up the pick up the mantle and, 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 and run with it now yeah. because you can't rely on individuals and, and the system or the process won't necessarily um, support this. This is people stuff. Mm. Caroline, I'd love if you could share a little bit more insight around this. The story you're alluding to, four or five years ago, felt more like a crisis. Definitely, N- yeah. Now... Yep is definitely in a fundamentally different phase where you feel like you've got not only are the, you know, the right people, but you're actually getting the right results. Um, you know, there's some really fundamental changes. Can you, can you give us just kind of a bit of a highlight story about what that four or five period, four or five year period was actually like sure, to lead sure. through? So, um, you know, four or five years ago, it's probably best demonstrated through our engagement yeah. within the organisation. So our engagement was at 24%. Um, in a highly competitive market, no product, um, uh, profitability pressures, um, and we were in a, in a dire crisis situation. Uh, we made some major structural uh, changes, but we also knew we had to culturally change the way that we um, were accountable for our performance, the way that we um, um, uh, operated as a leadership team. We're now, uh, for the last 12 months, we've been sitting at 72% of engagement. So, you know, a huge, uh, a huge uh, improvement there. Mm. Um, but now it's, it's the sustainability of that, you know, because it was such an exciting journey for the people that bought into it. It's now how do we sustain it? We're all pretty tired from that journey. Um, and just before Derek, you say that, can I can't help but say this? Can you also emphasise that it wasn't just the engagement scores that changed? Like that engagement score translated to oh, sales. So sales, that's right. It's that's right. Dramatic, uh, you know. So again, I just wanted to emphasise that because, it, again, I, I can't yeah, help. Our business but think outcomes, our business outcomes have 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 improved out of sight. You know, yeah. we're now, um, you know, sales are as they were eight nine years ago, um, yeah. where they should be. And that seems to be the kind of change that people can get behind. It's an easy story for people to understand. It was coming from a point of crisis. The change was implemented and the results, uh, people bought into it and the results were clear. And so that's the kind of change that can be sustainable and makes sense to people. people, I think people need to know the story behind the change or they need to be sold on what the change is for. So crisis change is an easier sell than change for change sake mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. people can see the necessity for it and can buy into the story of it. And uh, even if it's making their their 
life slightly harder, they can see that the benefits of that are palpable. Whereas if we're just making people's life harder and we don't know the story behind it, then people are much less likely to buy in and the sustainability is going to suffer, I think. Mm. I was going to ask you, Carolyn, um, and I agree with that, Rick. I think the um, if you look at your organisation at the moment, do you think that project, I'll put that in inverted commas, is that change project still on foot or did it come to an end at some point and now we're in post-project murkiness, if I can put it that way? I feel like we're entering into post-project murkiness. Okay. I feel that um, the the urgency or the energy mm. that we uh, all expended in that project... Yep. And embrace that project. Yeah, really, yeah. yeah. This is yeah. where you run the risk of becoming change junkies, I think, because you've all gone through the rush, we've bought in, we've improved... Um, now we can either stagnate or implement some other change that people can get behind and we can start to crave that, uh, I guess, that mm. buy-in rush that you get from change, and which is when you end up with change fatigue and all and people and, and change for change's sake is because mm. people start to crave uh, a narrative and change. Um, in, in improvisation, we use change as a narrative point um, all the time. The most common direction you'll get from um, when you're in a scene is someone will say, be changed. Um, be changed. Be changed. Um, be changed and affected by what's just happened in the scene. Because a lot of the time, we'll we'll avoid change. It's a natural instinct. Um, and the biggest thing you can do for a story and for a narrative is to be changed by what's just happened. Um, so change is an advocate for, um, for for making a story more interesting, which is, I guess, where you run the risk. Um, you've just experienced change that's been mm. for the for the good. People have bought in. Now you're in the what now phase. And you run the risk of change for change's sake, I guess, mm. to get that rush again. I think the story now is we're we're back to we're back to normal. We're we're yeah. back we're back to normal. Yeah. Where, where we should normal, be. Though. It a is normal. a new normal, yeah. but it's it's where we should be, and and therefore, um, the new generation um, understands this is this is how we operate. This is how we do things. This is how we want to do things going mm. forward. And it's now. Do there. you reckon the new generation? Because I, I, I now really fascinated by this because the, the new generation do they need to understand what you went through does that help or not uh definitely right i i i mean i spend a lot of my time explaining where we've come from where we've come from because i don't think and what's the reaction to that typically uh, mixed right mixed. yeah i'm inter- yeah you know. do you think your business could benefit from a tea lady because i know one who needs a job <laughs> I'm just saying it could bring your business together. That could be the simple change that could just revolutionise the entire business practice. Esme is amazing. (laughs) How much did you celebrate, uh, Carolyn, as an organisation? That's a really good question because we were an organisation that never celebrated. Um, um, I still don't think we do it enough. I I still think we could do it more. But but we, I guess... um, you know, earlier on we were talking about off-sites and we, we probably use those opportunities to to highlight the progress that we were making. Um, and we introduced some other other events for, for the whole of the organisation to to uh, take time out to thank people for their contribution. What's behind my question, mm. and it, maybe it's circling right back to the very start where you said we have change fatigue, um, this sense of making it more digestible, so, and even the term you used around a project, I know that that project lasted four or five years. Like that is hard mm. to kind of reconcile that. Uh, so 
it must need we need to bite it off in much more, smaller chunks and celebrations one way of doing that learning is another way like the you know what do we learn over this phase mm. uh, what's now the new normal what's now sustainable what now still needs to change. Mm. So it's kind of slowing things mm. down step by step. Yeah. yeah is, there a, is there a benefit of a clear end date? Yeah, to I, a absolutely. change project? Mm. Absolutely. I, I go back to... Do you think so? I go back to school yeah. years. Yeah. Um, so uh, interestingly, we're, we're recording this around the end of a, a school year. Yeah. And, and you know, notice in the psychology of both the children and the parents that we're all exhausted. <laughs> we're all uh, ready <laughs> To kind of you know go on holidays and um, and even if you t- take a university year, which is typically March to maybe the end of October, and I think some people sort of complain about that, but I look and say actually you can't sustain learning for much longer than that period of time in a year, and I don't think you can sustain change mm, mm. that much longer. <laughs> So, so the simple short answer is yes, absolutely. On a slightly irrelevant side note, please. Uh, weren't you just on holidays in like a tropical paradise for like a month? Yes. How exhausted could you be? Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> oh, it's too many palm trees. Uh, launching oh, those sails yeah. is not yes. actually easy, Rick. <laughs> Um, look, the, the leadership of Falls is due back in harbour. I am going to need to uh, get some takeaways uh, from my three good shipmates here. Uh, just around change, what, uh, what are you taking away from this discussion? Um, an end of change celebration. I think that's something that, that uh, we definitely need to do. Nice. Yeah, and that ties in with, um, I think, change. effective change needs to have a narrative, and so it makes sense that that story has a... Has an mm. end. It's the they lived happily ever after of the change process is the celebration. Mm. Uh, For me, um, more intelligence gathering uh, during the preparation for the implementation of the change. I think that's that just seems to be the constant theme when these change projects don't quite uh, achieve what they set out to achieve. For me, it's don't use a horse riding metaphor. Uh, and I do apologise to all of our show jumping community who <laughs> tune into this podcast. Any inference that show jumping is a dangerous or inadvisable sport was accidental and we do not endorse that opinion. And I once used a snowboarding metaphor as well with a client and I realised I've never been snowboarding, so that didn't work either. <laughs> and if anyone out there is thinking of putting a snowboard on a horse, uh, it's dangerous. That is dangerous. That is very dangerous. Horses were not meant to snowboard. Yeah. and But maybe the uh, hopefully the simple access point around this is um, uh, let's normalise change. Change is not easy uh, for humans and yet we make rapid change all the time. It just happens anyway. Uh, and I think I'm struck most by the com- conversation we had around consultation for w- to what end. Mm. Like, I think that I'm quite struck by that. Mm. Um, that you know, it, consultation makes complete sense and can be a valuable part of the exercise. But if it's tokenistic or if it's done for uh, different reasons mm. or people don't know the reasons, then it's a really lost opportunity. Um, oh, look, clearly my only takeaway is that I regret that I fired the tea lady um, from the ship. She used to serve tea. I remember you guys used to like. She'd come round the trolley. I, I thought it was just a sad waste of expenses. Um, I mean, we miss her. But uh, now that I, I clearly, that was a, I should never have made her walk the plank. I, I take it all back. Um, I'll see if she's still floating around somewhere out of, out of port. I'm sure she'll be happy to get back on board and serve tea 
ad nauseum. Uh, thank you so much for coming aboard. Uh, go about your business. On today's episode, I reflected that we honed into a particular area of change, and that part was consultation. So reframed or renamed the episode consultation as intelligence gathering. So we are left with three mentoring hits. The first being the need to have absolute clarity and transparency when you're adopting the consultation phase. This will allow the intelligence uh, from that phase to result in better decision making. Number two, never underestimate the power of celebration and the role that plays. And finally, number three, Strong leadership does not always mean blindly pushing change through. There is real strength in stopping, pausing, switching things off, and especially in listening. Leadership of Fools is a Somersault production. Somersault works with organisations through transformation and growth. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or wherever you do your listening. And don't forget to visit leadershipoffools.com.